Thanks for listening to the Standing Together Ministry Podcast. Our desire is to create a multi-generational conversation in the independent Baptist movement while standing together for truth. The following is a teaching portion from the first ever Standing Together Ministry Summit in September of 2018. We would love to see you at the next summit on April 1st and 2nd at Franklin Road Baptist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. You can learn more and register at stsummit.com. That's stsummit.com. Now, prepare to grow as you listen to this episode of the Standing Together Ministry Podcast. I appreciate your being here. I really do. It's great to see you, and I'm honored to be here with you. And I'll, I'll use that one. Thank you. And honestly, the the people that you have here really are some of my heroes and uh, in the faith. And I think one of the greatest things we could do is, is look to people that are further down the road than we are and ask questions and get counsel. And that's really been one of the... Uh, the things that I've that I've really tried to do and, and pray that I'll continue to do that I really believe will be a help help to me. Uh, let's have a, just a quick word of prayer and then we're going to take a, a look at a, a story uh, in the Bible and and I believe this will I just believe with all my heart this will be a help to all of us that will really consider what the Bible says. Lord, I pray that you would just guide and direct our thoughts today. Lord, I thank you for the privilege I have to to be here and be a part of this session. And I thank you for the men that are here and their, their desire to be here to, to consider this topic. And I pray that you'd help us, God, to be uh, even more effective for you, to be just a sharp tool in your hand. And I, Lord, I appreciate so much the effort that was made for these, these men to come. And I pray again that you bless this time to our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In John chapter 3, Jesus had a conversation for the ages with Nicodemus. And as they talked, the two of them talked about that matter, which is obviously the most important of all matters. It's a matter of eternal life. They talked about how one can know with all certainty that, that heaven's their eternal home. And this, this highly esteemed man, this, this very influential man, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, he clearly had a faulty understanding of who Jesus was. He did not comprehend how he, Nicodemus, could, could gain eternal life. And this nighttime discourse, and I, I thought on that, I thought this was a time that, that Nicodemus was comfortable with in talking to Jesus. And the decision that Nicodemus made at some point as a result of this conversation clearly changed his life forever, didn't it? And we see that in spite of the potential dangers that he, Nicodemus, was right there alongside of Joseph of Arimathea, caring for the body of Jesus Christ after our Lord's resurrection. And what a wonderful scripture John chapter 3 is. And this great chapter ends with a wonderful, powerful, remarkable verse of scripture that he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Uh, what a promise. Uh, regardless of, of who someone is, regardless of where they've come from, regardless of where they've been, regardless of their past, good, bad, or ugly, uh, if they would believe that they had put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they have, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about us, they, they have everlasting life. Don't you love John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even in them that believe on his name. I love the Bible verse that says, not willing, First, Second Peter 3, 9, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
I think of the verse, He, Jesus Christ, the propitiation for our sins, and not for us only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So red and yellow, black and white, affluent, bankrupt. They're all precious in His sight. So that's John chapter 3. But you go into John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, the conflict between Jesus Christ and the Pharisees was intensifying. And the, the religious elite of Jesus' day, they were doing everything they could do to gain followers. And while their size and their influence was clearly diminishing, as is seen in the case of Nicodemus, the popularity of Jesus Christ was, was definitely surging. And after a, a lot of heated discussion regarding Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the people returned to their homes. And Jesus left that area, and all of this background information leads us to John chapter 4, verse 4, where the Bible says, and he, Jesus Christ, must needs go through Samaria. So as the Lord made his way from Judea to Galilee, the Bible says that he must needs go through Samaria. So something, or should we say, should say someone, compelled the Lord to go through Samaria, an inconvenient trip, a detour that would cost extra time, but a trip that Jesus Christ made. So what was Samaria? Under Solomon's son Rehoboam, the kingdom of Israel we know was divided into two fragments, the northern kingdom of Israel led by Jeroboam, the southern kingdom under the leadership of Rehoboam. Because Jeroboam feared the two kingdoms would reunite, he established a counterfeit religion with its own distinct place of worship, Bethel. Later, a wicked northern king named Omri built the city of Samaria, which he made his capital, the capital of the northern kingdom. So Omri also built a temple, an altar to Baal, a heathen deity, and eventually the name of that city became synonymous for the entire northern kingdom, thus its name, Samaria. And we know that, that God repeatedly warned the people through his prophets. They didn't listen, and divine judgment finally came in God's people at the hand of the Assyrians. They defeated Israel. They scattered the middle and upper classes through other nations, and they replaced the dispersed Israelites with heathen from other lands. And these heathen people intermarried with the remaining Israelites, which resulted in a group of people that included the, the transplanted people. It included the, the weak of the land who had been left behind. It included the outcasts. It included the, the irreligious. It included all these people who intermarried with the original Samaritans, Samarians, and the mixed group, the Samarians, was with Samaritans was without doubt a group of people that were just absolutely distasteful to anybody that was a devout Jew. And even worse, not only were they mixing all of this, they became intermingled with heathen idolatry. But the Bible says with all of that, with the fact that there was really no relationship, the, the Jews wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. I mean, there was great issue. There was great conflict. There were great problems between these two peoples. Jesus Christ must needs go through Samaria. It's incredible. His mission compelled him. He must needs go through Samaria. And as he did, the Bible says our Lord found himself having a conversation with a woman, a woman that was a Samaritan, a woman that he met at Jacob's well. It's about noon. The Lord's disciples had gone off to get food, the Bible says. He was left alone to face the heat of the day. And as he, Jesus Christ, made his way to fulfill a divine appointment, and by the way, we all have divine appointments, don't we? 
The question is, do we keep those divine appointments? He came to a parcel of land about a mile or so from the city of Sychar, about 30 miles north of Jerusalem, approximately halfway between Jerusalem and Nazareth. It was at the base of Mount Gerizim, a place the Samaritans claim was the true center of the worship of Jehovah. It was a piece of land in which was Jacob's well. There was other water available in the area closer to town, but it was at this well, at Jacob's well, that Jesus chose to get some rest because there was someone at that well that Jesus Christ had come to see. He had a divine appointment to keep. And as Jesus Christ is at that well, John chapter 4, verse 7 says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it thou being a Jew? askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. There was at least three things about this woman that seemed to put her at a very distinct disadvantage. Number one, she was a Samaritan. The relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was fractured. It was strained. It was heated. I mean, truthfully, there was really no relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. Second, this woman had a reputation that was deeply tarnished by her lifestyle. Third, the fact that she was a woman, that was a distinct disadvantage in Bible days. And of course, we all know how the Jews felt about the Samaritans. There's little doubt as to how the Pharisees would have dealt with such a woman as this. But neither should we be surprised that Jesus dealt with her in an entirely different fashion. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, evidenced compassion time and time and time again? I mean, aren't we thankful that Jesus loves people? You think of Matthew chapter 9, 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad, were scattered as sheep without a shepherd. This Samaritan woman, this woman of the well whose sins were many, this woman, this Samaritan woman at the well who is surely looked down on with great disfavor. Of course, in Bible days, wives did not divorce their husbands. Husbands divorced their wives. This woman had been married and divorced. She'd been put away five times. So five different men had divorced this Samaritan woman. In addition to that, the man she was now living with was someone she was not even married to at all. And think about this. So this woman looked at Jesus. Jesus looked at her, and there were four invisible but very real walls that stood between them. There was a religious wall. There was a gender wall. There was a racial wall. And there was a moral wall. But Jesus Christ found a way to break through all four of those walls, and you have to stop and just think of the words, for God so loved the world. You just have to stop and think of the words that he came to seek and to save those that were lost. Our Lord found her, this woman at the well. And how very lost she was as all of us were lost, weren't we? And because Jesus Christ found her, think about this, she found him. Now think about this. Nothing at all happens by mere chance in this story. This woman wasn't looking for Jesus. All she wanted was water. But God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh was looking for her. And I want to ask you the question today. Are we earnestly looking to speak with people about Jesus Christ? 
remember my dad when I was a kid used to often tell the story about this soldier during World War One, and he he disappeared in the smoke and the and all the chaos of a battle, and he came back a few moments later uh, with a, a number of soldiers in front of him at the point of his bayonet, and then he left and came back another a few moments later with another one, and and some other soldier looked at this guy and said, "Look, man, where are you getting all those guys?" He said, "Hey, go get some yourself. The woods are full of them." So what do we see from this scripture? Number one, you got to go to Samaria if you want to read Samaritans. He did not avoid Samaria, and he did not hurry through Samaria. You know what? Think about this, man. The time may not have been convenient. It was the heat of the day. But it wasn't a daily schedule that was most important to the Lord. It was the soul of this woman that mattered more than a calendar, more than a planned trip. Hey, Pastor Tim, can you come talk to me about being saved? Yeah, sure. I go out every Tuesday afternoon and every Saturday morning. Can you fit in my schedule? That's that's not what happened here. This Samaritan woman at the well most certainly did not know it, but she had a divine appointment with the Son of God. Let me ask you a question. Are we going where the people are? You see, it's one thing to make visits. It's another thing to go to Samaria and reach Samaritans. And, and reaching people for Jesus Christ is not always comfortable, and reaching people for Jesus Christ may at times be difficult, but we know for certain you have to go where the people are if you want to reach them. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the ultimate motivation for reaching everyone that we possibly can. It was the motivation to reach that woman at the well. The, the average Jew would have run the other way from the Samaritan woman, but that's not what Jesus did. He broke the mold. He pursued this divine appointment. Aren't you thankful? The gospel is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth. Look, this is no accident. This was absolutely intentional. By the way, it's a great example for all of us to follow. Doesn't matter who the person is. Doesn't matter where they've come from. Doesn't matter where they've been. It doesn't matter what the color of their skin is. God loves them. And we, we have to go where the people are if we want to reach them. Look, comfort's not the issue. A firefighter has to go inside the burning house to rescue the person that's inside. He cannot stand outside and simply call out and offer help. Jesus intended to save this woman, so he had to go to where she was. Now think about it. Think about the story. We're going to come to some practical things in a moment. Think about this. Nicodemus was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. Nicodemus was very high-ranking, and he was a respected leader in Israel. The woman at the well was a member of what was considered to be the lowest group of people to the Jews, the Samaritans. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, the highest ruling party in Israel. Certainly people sought to meet his every whim. The Samaritan woman felt compelled to go herself and draw her own water in the absolute heat of the day. Nicodemus was, at least externally, a very moral man. This woman was a person of disreputable morals. Married five times, living with a man outside of the bonds of marriage. Nicodemus was a highly religious man. This woman was aware of the worship of the Samaritans, but she had not been a worshiper herself. And yet Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, found this woman. Why? Because that's why he came. To seek and to save those that are lost. I mean, every people group, every tribe, every every tongue, he is the propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And God wants me and God wants you to go share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone. 
And by the way, if we do, there's a promise. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with them. So you say, Pastor Tim, well, why, why all that background information? Let me give you something to think about. We have to reach a multicultural congregation before we can pastor and build a multicultural congregation. <laughs> you can't pastor someone who's not there. And so think about this. Jesus pointed out that sin's not based on culture. Sin is sin. And every lost soul should be looked at the same, no matter of their racial, their economic, their religious backgrounds. People are sinners in need of a savior. Look, I read a book recently that was very powerful by David Green called Giving It All Away and Giving It Back Again. And he said, look, he's the founder of Hobby Lobby. He says there's only two things that are eternal, the souls of men and the word of God. Think about this. Every time the woman of the well brought up a cultural difference, she brought up race, she brought up religion, she brought up gender. You know, Jesus did. He pointed her right back to the gospel. You know, it's our responsibility to reach a multi multicultural crowd to bring every conversation and every message to one to one major issue. What is that? Mankind's greatest need, which is salvation through Jesus Christ. Think about this. The woman at the well started to speak of spiritual things from a religion different from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not become defensive. He did not become unkind. He did not write her off as unwilling to hear the gospel. He brought her back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel works if we work it. Let me tell you a story. We had a, a couple that came to our church a number of years ago, and I went and visited them on Saturday with another one of our men. We went to the house, and this woman was from a Christian church background. And she was brutal. And her husband didn't even really say anything, but she was brutal. And when we, we I mean, it was just, you know what, you shouldn't have music in your church, and, you know, this and this and this. And it's just brutal. And so we left, and, I mean, I'm sitting there, like, stomping the dust off my feet, you know, and I'm thinking, man, I'll never see her again. That's a good thing. I don't ever want to see her again. I mean, that woman is just, she's flat mean, you know, and I was trying to be nice. And honestly, I didn't, I really didn't ever want to see them again. And I, I couldn't believe it. About a year later, I was sitting up in church. I was looking back, and they came walking into church. I thought, oh, no. I mean, this is terrible. I mean, these people are these people are horrible. I mean, they're like pastor destroyers. You know, what I mean, they're just awful. And so that Saturday, I mean, of all things, her husband came soul winning. And I'm thinking, you're not even saved. And we finished the soul winning meeting, and I said to him, I said, Frank, I said, let me ask you a question. Could we talk for a few minutes? He said, sure. So we went next door to one of the classrooms. He sat down. He accepted Jesus Christ. And he said to me, he said, Pastor Tim, can you talk to my wife? I said, no, anybody but her. I mean, anybody but her. I mean, she's just the worst. And so I said, sure. And boy, I called my dad and we went through every verse on the fact that you don't have to be baptized to be saved. And boy, I just got it. I mean, I just really got every bit of that down. You know, I wanted to have all my, my bullets and my gun ready for this lady. And she came and I called her and I said, hey, would you like to have a little Bible study at the church? She said, yes. She came to see me at the church and she came to my office and I went to the gospel with her and she did not say one thing until she prayed to receive Jesus Christ as her Savior. And that family today, they're faithful in a great church. They're, they're, they love God. They serve God. It's, it's unbelievable. And they love me. And honestly, I was, I was just, I was 
grudgingly part of God's plan because I really, she was mean the first time. And I was just, I, I thought, you know what, this lady, she does, she can't even get help, but she, but she can get help and everyone can get help and shame on me for even feeling that way. Think about this. Jesus breaks down the cultural barrier by explaining salvation is not just for the Jews. It's for everyone. And he helped her understand the gospel has nothing to do with a race or culture. The gospel's God's gift to mankind, all mankind. So let me give you a couple thoughts to think about, some practical ways you can pastor a multicultural con uh, congregation. And, and we do. And if you've ever been to our church, Brother Thompson has. If you've ever been to our church, I mean, whites are a distinct minority, for sure. Our school has 1,150 students, and we our school is about 60% Asian. So we, we've got the Lord's really brought the world to our doorstep. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, 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 it's really a wonderful opportunity. So I want to ask you a couple of questions just to think about, okay? You know, it can be easy to say, well, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm going to practice the American culture. But let me ask you a question. If someone came into your church and they were in full African dress, or they came into your church wearing an Indian sari, would they be treated differently by our congregation? I, I got to tell you the story, and I repeated the story so many times to our church because the story moves me so deeply. There was a little boy one time that traveled across the city of Chicago to go to Dwight L. Moody's church, and this little boy, I mean, he left his home early on Sunday morning and had to get on wagons and had to ride this and ride that, and boy, he traveled all this time to get to Moody's church, and someone came to him one day and said, son, he said, isn't there a church closer to you? And son, why in the world do you travel all the way across the city of Chicago to come to Moody's church and you can go to church close to your home? And he said, Mr. He said, of course there's churches closer to me, but they know how to love a fellow here. And if I've thought to myself, do these people that come to our churches, they maybe look a little different than we do. Do we love them? I have the privilege, we have, we have a service at 8.30 and we have a service at 10.45. And then right in the middle of the two, we have Bible studies, Sunday school. I teach that as well. I have an adult Sunday school class. And I got to tell you, if you walked in there, it's so incredibly diverse. But I try to walk around as I have someone start the class and lead the singing and speak to every single person. And we have, we have, we have a, a large class. And so I walk around and try to speak to every person and look them in the eye. And now, now not look beyond them. You know, it's so easy to do that, isn't it? And don't you hate it when someone does it to you? Hey, good to see you. Hey, how about, and you look beyond them. And I had someone come to me one day and they say, Pastor Tim, thank you for not looking beyond me. Thank you for looking me in the eye and saying, hey, I'm glad you're here today. You know, you mentioned last Sunday that your brother was having a surgery. How did that surgery go? And, I, and I'm so glad you made the trip today. You know, and I, I have people that drive a long distance to come to church. Hey, thank you for making that drive today. We're, we're so glad you came. And letting people know that no matter who they are, no matter where they've come from. And I, I honestly, I have people in my class, one of the couples in my class that I absolutely love. They are covered with tattoos. Just covered. And it makes me so happy that they, that they, they feel like they belong. And they love me. And I baptized their son this last Sunday. And boy, they wanted me to baptize their son. And I just, I don't want everybody to know, the, the Samaritan and the, this person and that person know, you know what, yeah, we know how to love a fellow here. And we love you. 
and we're glad you're here and we care about you. Now think about the disciples. They came back, they're a little shocked. Well, they shouldn't have been shocked. They should have been looking for people to talk to themselves. And Jesus took the time to talk to this woman to show that he really cared. Think about this, embracing your congregation's different backgrounds and cultures. We'll have fellowships with different types of food. We'll have uh, different activities with even different types of dress. I've spoken to our Filipino congregation in Warner Barong and, and so on and so forth and trying to say, you know what, look, I... I I appreciate you and, and what you, where you come from. And boy, I care about your country and taking missions trips to these particular countries where people are from as well. But remembering to keep the focus centered on the one who binds us all together, and that's Jesus Christ. We use our missions conference here as a visiting, visiting missionaries as opportunities to embrace other cultural heritage. Like for example, we'll have our missions conference in March. And on Tuesday night of our missions conference, of all our school kids will sing and they'll all dress up with their native dress. And that's a wonderful thing through the dress, through the food, through the fellowship, uh, embracing cultural groups, maybe through a Sunday school class. Uh, we have a Spanish ministry in our church. We have a Filipino ministry in our church. And in these services, they'll use their native tongue to conduct uh, the services. It allows for a better understanding for some people who don't speak English. Los Angeles is the third largest Spanish speaking city in the world is what I've been told. And so we've got Spanish-speaking people absolutely everywhere, but I will tell you this, we have time as we come together as a church, and I was given great advice um, from the uh, former pastor of your church, and so we'll meet together maybe every other month for Lord's Table. This Sunday night, we start off a special conference. We'll all be together on Sunday night, so keeping that spirit of unity in, in the church. As a pastor, setting an example by learning as much as you can about the different cultures that make up your church. People really want to know that you care about them and where they're from. And the best way to do that is to visit. The best way to do that is to have meals with them, embrace their special events. Uh, my my son-in-law is Indian. And so my granddaughter, it's the strangest thing. They have a birthday party every month for the first year. And I've just never heard of such a thing. But you know what? We had this last week at my house, her second month birthday party at her house. <laughs> and you know what? I'm just starting to learn. That's just the way they do it. So you know what? That's the way I do it too. You know, I'm the, I'm the grandpa, so we're going we're gonna to make it great. But remember something. It's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. Amen. Think about this. It's about loving those whom he loves. By the way, he loves as much as he loves us. So I want a purpose to touch people of every every tribe and tongue and people group touching people in all situations think about this Jesus Christ is willing to touch the leper when no one else would I gave that story on Wednesday night and think about the fact that no one had touched that man for years and Jesus touched him what that had to have meant and what that touched from us and maybe not even the physical touch but just that, that touch of love to say you know what we love you and you're welcome in our church I mean I, I, I would, wouldn't even guess, and I'm sure it's the same in your church, how many different people groups we have in our church represented. It's just, I've, every time I have someone come, they say, Tim, this just reminds me what heaven's going to be like one day. And I got to tell you, I love that. And that's who lives in our area. So if we're going to reach our area, I've got to reach every single people group and try to understand who they are and understand what's important to them and understand how I can be a blessing to them. Think about this. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are one in Jesus Christ Jesus. So what do we do? We represent Jesus Christ. And what do we want to do? With God's help, we want to represent him well. Amen. Mm -hmm. 
We hope this episode has been helpful to you and that you'll subscribe to our podcast. You can connect with Standing Together on Twitter and Facebook, where we hope you will take a moment to share this podcast with your friends and followers. And remember, we'd love to see you at the next Standing Together Ministry Summit on April 1st and 2nd in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. For more information, visit us at stsummit.com. That's stsummit.com. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.